1: Discover Seasons 1 and 2 now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com.
2: Good Schools for All is made possible in part by UC San Diego Extension. UC San Diego Extension has partnered with San Diego Public Library System to bring middle and high school students a series of free, in-depth, and hands-on learning courses in topics like robotics, circuits, messy science, 3D modeling, and college planning. The Library Next program started as a pilot project in six San Diego libraries in early 2017 and is quickly expanding to more library branches throughout the city. This STEAM-centered program is sponsored by UC San Diego Extension's pre-college programs and the San Diego Public Library. Visit www.sandiego.gov slash librarynext for details. Good Schools for All is also made possible in part by Thrive Public Schools. Thrive Public Schools are charter public schools serving students in elementary, middle, and high school throughout San Diego. Thrive was named one of the top 75 schools in the nation and is celebrated by the state legislature and local officials for innovation and excellence in education. Thrive engages students through cutting-edge technology, hands-on projects, and small group teaching. Thrive students are college-prepared, career-inspired, and community-minded. Visit thriveps.org to schedule a tour and get engaged.
0: mom says my neighborhood school
2: isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible?
1: Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego.
2: We cut through
3: the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids.
1: We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. Enjoy the show.
3: There should be an excellent school in every community.
1: All right, my name is Scott Lewis, and I'm here with my friend, Laura Cohn. Hi, Scott. Hi, how are you?
3: I am doing outstanding.
1: All right, I'm obviously Scott Lewis from Voice of San Diego, and Laura joins us from the Workforce Partnership. That's right. I'm trying to get the, uh, the rust out of our uh, intro here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so I, I always start with a story. I got a good one. All right, let's hear it. So my daughter is uh, just a couple weeks to... Uh, young for the transitional kindergarten cutoff, right? We've talked about this a lot. Yeah. Frustrating. Yes. It's that if your child was lucky enough to be born, or if you were lucky enough to procreate in a certain window (laughs) between September and December, then your four-year-old can get a year of public education.
3: A 14th year for free.
1: Yes. And so... This is uh, four-year-olds who turn five between September and December second. Right. That's right. Well, um, my daughter's like three weeks too late. Too, too she's too young. Okay. And this has been devastating for her because her entire preschool class went on.
3: Oh, and poor so Ruby. her
1: all her friends and she's a very social creature. She already had very deep relationships and. So I drop my son off, and she's always with me, and she sees some of these girls at school, and it's just heartbreaking for her, right? Painful, yes. And so, like almost every time we're walking away, I get, I get it. She's a very precocious, like very thoughtful, conscious person already, and she's just like, "Well, Dad, did you, did, uh, um, did you talk to the principal?" And I was like, "Yeah, we did. We've gotten a lot." And I told her, "I said we tried to talk to uh, everybody and really try to understand. They just say you're too young. We can't. We there's no schools. We tried other schools. Everybody." And come to find out, I th- and I reassured her. I'm like, "Look, you're obviously you're smart enough, and you're you're you know, but it's just it's just the way it works. There's rules." So apparently later she was talking to my wife, and she's like. Dad said he talked to the principal, but I don't know if he talked to the principal's boss, did he? Mm. And she said, well, we sent a letter and it just didn't work. And she said, well, how about, did he talk to the chalkboard guy? (laughs) And my wife said, the chalkboard guy? What do you mean? And she said, the chalkboard, did did he talk to the chalkboard guy? And She said, what do you, she said, do you mean the, the school board guy? And she said, yeah, the school board guy.
0: Wow! <laughs> so so this—that's a oh, the daughter Scott. of a
1: public affairs journalist. Absolutely. Uh, so, so actually, my wife did send a couple <laughs> messages. Hasn't heard back from the chalkboard guy. Oh man! But um, who's your
3: chalkboard guy?
1: Uh, uh, Doctor Mike Macquarie. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. You should he check his email. Yet, huh? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it was a it's a tough lesson in, in the, in the harsh reality of the bureaucracy.
3: Yeah. You know, because it's just not fair. It, <laughs> it really, really is not fair. And little, and little kids are acutely aware of unfairness in the world. Yeah.
1: They're like the, well, then change the rule. It's yeah. like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> now there is one cluster we found in the San Carlos area, Tierra Santa area, uh, Patrick Henry High um, cluster, that is experimenting with a larger window to allow younger kids into mm-hmm. that yeah. program. But yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to say something that a very privileged life, very charmed life. Right. My daughter's going to be fine, but yeah, it's not fair. It's like that, like that whole year, you're either let four year olds in or you don't, I think, you know, it's just, and it's, it seems like a good program if they did that to help kids, progress, you know, a universal pre-K time. The
3: evaluations of it have been really impressive. Mm -hmm. Um, Preschools can, you know, outside of school can be great, but the um, kids who are just the wrong side of the birthday who go to high quality preschool compared to kids who go to transitional kindergarten do better on the traditional measures of success. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that there aren't other measures that they maybe are getting a better advantage on. But yeah, transitional kindergarten works pretty darn well.
1: We have a pretty good show scheduled. We have Dr. Marion Phelps from the Poway Unified School District. Mm -hmm. She is the superintendent there, new superintendent. Well, she's still a newly superintendent. She's new. Yeah, Yeah, we'll give her new. And so we got a lot to talk to her about that. We'll do a little briefing on Poway and how that even came to be. And we got our what's working and our number of the week. We do. And so let's just jump in. So Poway... Just this year, superintendent, longtime superintendent, well, for several years, superintendent John Collins, he resigned, left the office. He pleaded not guilty to four felony charges. So he's accused of misappropriating public money. Um, for instance, they accuse him of taking out more vacation, cashing out more vacation than he had earned or deserved. Uh, So those cases are going forward. If convicted of of even just one of them, he could lose a portion of his pension too, according to the Mm -hmm. state uh, pension reform stuff. He's one of the best, he was one of the best paid uh, superintendents in the community. I think it it helps to understand sort of what happened to him. So Powie's a really interesting situation because of course it was so well regarded, is so well regarded, Uh, 36,000 students, covers uh, not just the city of Poway, but also the northern parts of the city of San Diego, Rancho Bernardo. And, you know, very well regarded. It also had a very innovative relationship, uh, long, long talked about with, between teachers unions and the leadership of the school district. And Collins was a part about the, of that. I think it, it helps to understand what happened to go back to 2011. So that was the year that Voice of San Diego Uh, broke a story about a capital appreciation bond that the district had taken out where basically they borrowed about $105 million and had to agree to a deal to pay back about a billion dollars for that. And uh, basically, it's a deal where they get the money. They got the money in 2011, but then uh, don't have to start paying it off until 2033. So it was this really strange sort of back heavy loan. You were basically saddling these extended future generations with a billion dollar debt for the chance to use a hundred million dollars now. And so after that, after we broke that story became a big story, national news, even international coverage, but then the state changed the law, making it hard to do that. The grand jury came out and said that was a bad deal. Uh, the, uh, uh, Attorney General of California said that the people who did that should have to resign. It was just a um, it was just a bad deal that that set in motion a series of things. There was a change in the board at the uh, county or yeah. at the at the Poway Unified School District, yeah. And a couple of new board members really started agitating for more um, investigation, and in um, they hired auditing, and it just it turned into one of those stories that just keeps going. There was obviously a lot of, of of drama as well between some parents and the board and some of the board members between each other. And uh, it got to a point of true dysfunction. Uh, the, the teachers union ended up siding with John Collins, was very upset about some of the things that were happening. Hmm. But um, uh, finally, he... Um, uh, there was this weird moment where we did this story about a, a an edit of a of a, of an audit that they had done a, a self investigation that he had like really edited himself to make look a lot better and so these kinds of that. stories just kind of yeah. kept piling on each other yeah. and finally uh he uh, there was a there was an investigation and it and it was just too much and they um, The school board actually terminated his job. I said earlier, they terminated it Mm. and referred some of the issues to the district attorney and the district attorney decided to prosecute. And then finally, um, there was really interesting uh, sort of consequences after that. We did a bunch of public records requests and I actually asked Dr. Phelps about this because they've been extremely transparent over the last several months, far more than we've ever seen from Pellet Unified and... They not only turned over some documents to us; they also said in that process, it literally in somebody's drawer they found evidence of payments to a separate special retirement account, separate from their pensions and other things that uh, that they can't find any evidence were ever approved. And so there was just a lot of of things like this uh, that they proactively are now doing their best to get out. And so I talked to Doctor Phelps about that a little bit. And again, it was this; it's this kind of strange situation where you have a f- super well regarded agency right that was struggling uh with some intense palace a tree intrigue at the top
3: yeah it the, the story as it unfolded was really hard for me to reconcile and i'm sure a lot of other people too including as you said the union because i met john collins a couple of times really nice steady seeming guy who was overseeing a district that was Uh, you know, in terms of the bottom lines that we care about first, student Mm -hmm. outcomes, was really doing um, an amazing job. And some of the board members who ended up uh, getting voted out as a result of that bad bond deal that they did, they also were really well-meaning. They made some bad decisions. um, And John Collins clearly seems to have gotten into some financial trouble that caused him to take advantage of the system. But it always was strange to me that he would be the, high. I think he was the highest paid superintendent in San Diego County for Mm -hmm. several years running. One of the highest
1: in the state. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yes, exactly. One of the highest in the state. And I never did understand, you know, even just knowing that when this stuff was beginning to unfold, it just didn't make sense to me. So yes, things got funky at Poway.
1: Yeah. So just um, to cover the basis, one of Colin's attorneys, Victor Pippins, uh, outside the courtroom when the district attorney's criminal charges came, said Mr. Collins is obviously disappointed, but he's resolute. He stands firm in his innocence. And now we start the process of proving that to everyone as well. In a letter he sent, um, sort of responding to, he had been stripped of his teacher credentials. And in responding to that investigation to about that potential impact of these things, he had said, there's no legitimate evidence that proves that I was in fact overpaid nor is there proof that I was criminally negligent. Indeed, there is no proof of any actual loss to the district. And um, in response, the the district attorney's prosecutor said he got paid for vacation he had already used, and that's as simple as their case gets. So, there's uh, uh, again, this this is interesting as a reporter on school districts because w- there's often these this two these two worlds. There's the academic world. There's the world of students. Students struggling, students achieving, innovations in the classroom, curriculum, and just school and education in general. Yeah. And then there's the world of government, governing and management, and and those that area is much more similar to other government agencies, right? Sure. Employees, audits, these kinds of public records stuff like that. And so I find that we're often pulled in two different directions and doing a lot of that sort of investigative stuff. And this show we really wanted to make sure was about the education and the classroom and and things that are and and focusing on people that were struggling or not. And so I think that's what's good about this conversation with the superintendent is that it's kind of both, right? We talk a little bit about some of the right. uh, the governance issues, but really heavy on on the educational plans that she has.
3: I mean, I I definitely would say though that a dysfunctional administration almost always has really serious ramifications in the classroom. So the tragedy of the San Ysidro School District, for example, which has struggled so much to get stability and um, competence um, at the top is one that's really troubling me because I know it's showing up in the schools. And Sweetwater is another example where the struggles with that board really slowed down. The pace of change now under the, um, now they've got steady leadership and it's, you can see it blossoming. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually they correlate, but in Poway, um, I think that just that long legacy of strength at the academic side has allowed the schools, for the most part, to um, withstand the, the trauma at the top.
1: Right. Well, you brought a couple of, of tidbits, so we have a uh, uh, what's working this week.
3: Yeah, so what's working, I wanted to um, highlight the dual language learning programs in Chula Vista. We've talked about them before, but the national think tank, New America, just released a full report on them. That a big um, report. It was really big. And um, so they just elevated that in 1998, the same year that Prop 227 passed that made it really, um, well, that basically outlawed bilingual education in California schools and made it really hard to do dual language schools, that's the year that the San Diego Cooperative uh san diego cooperative charter school Mm -hmm. um yeah down in in chula vista opened doing a dual language program and over that period when most school districts were wary of dual language programs because of the new laws and um, constraints surrounding them chula vista opened 21 new dual language immersion programs so now with um the proposition that we passed last year 58 i believe it was that makes dual language possible they're just ready to take off with it but they already have 4,400 students enrolled in dual language programs. So it's a really, really impressive uh, record of a school district functioning within the the pretty serious constraints of public policy but finding a way to, to move forward with the right thing for kids.
1: Yeah, the report is really good. We also talked about it in our um, Learning Curve newsletter Mario Graham put out last week. You can check that out at voicesandiego.org. But also, we talked for a minute about what seems to have been a shift that's occurred since that 1998 law the law was, you know, it barred bilingual education without um, a kind of proactive endorsement, right? Like you had to Parental choose. permission, yeah. right. And so it feels like what also occurred, not only did we change that law last time with the last election, but also there's been a kind of shift in the framing and branding of these programs, right? We've We've shifted from it being like, well, we need this- dual language to support students who are struggling Learn with English, English. Yep. and, and as a sort of social welfare effort and switched to the discussion to like, no dual language and bilingual programs are actually this potential advantage. Like people will want to take it. It's like an immersion program. You could study abroad in your neighborhood. Yep. Um, and that's a key branding change. It's, it's taken a weakness or a, uh, a fear of something and turn it into a a positive and a confident thing, right?
3: Yeah. I would say I would point to two things. One is um, increasing recognition last election, notwithstanding of the fact that we're functioning in a global world and that the U.S. is really out of sync with the rest of the world and the way we think about languages and the way we don't give students access to bi or multilingualism in our schools. So that's one thing. But the other thing is research. So it's a victory, Mm -hmm. honestly, for research, which... Um, researchers looked at dual language programs and proved that, um, students who are in them, whether they're English learners or native English speakers, they end up much, um, with huge advantages, dual bilingualism being one of them, but just your brain gets wired in a really positive, more flexible way from speaking two languages and, um, other academics are enhanced as well from, from that opportunity. So hooray for research. Yeah.
1: All right, and our number of the week.
3: The number of the week is 95%. So this came out of um, a report uh, that was released by Education Trust this week about Latino education in California. And when I was listening to the report, it's a really, it's a really great report. When I was listening to coverage of the report, this number stuck with me, 95%, because that's the proportion of Latino youth, um, so people under age 18 in California that are born in the United States of America. They're native born, which took me by surprise. I was, I, if you'd asked me before I heard that number, what percent, um, I would guess about California Latino youth. I think I might've said something like 75% or something like that, but it's 95%, the vast majority of them. So our, um, our challenge with educating our Latino youngsters is not a challenge of them recently arriving in America from Mexico or other countries of origin. It's, um, they're American children and we so, need to get better at, at treating, at, uh, sorry, at educating them from birth. There are our kids, you know, from the, from the day they're born.
1: The report talks about how far behind them as a group is and what things we could do about it, right?
3: yeah the the test score outcomes are devastating and frustrating so in san diego county in english language arts latino kids as a group perform 27 percentage points behind white kids and in math it's 29 percentage points behind um and it shouldn't be that way
1: all right let's hear from dr Marion phelps
3: it's a great interview
1: Joined in the great Voice San Diego podcast studio by Dr. Marian Phelps. She's the new-ish superintendent at the Poway Unified School District. Welcome, Dr. Phelps.
0: Oh, welcome. Thank you. Thanks I'm for, excited to be here. Thank yeah, you for having me.
1: Thanks for coming in. Uh, so let's just get to know you for a second. Um, where are you from? How long have you been with the district? And when did you start this new role?
0: Um, well, I started this new role, um, in April. So I've been, I'm on my eighth month, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm actually originally from Orange County and I came down to San Diego to attend UCSD and, uh, for my undergraduate. And then, uh, I worked for Scripps Health for a little bit and went back to school to become a teacher and, um, I decided to start teaching for Sandy Unified and and, uh, was a teacher. uh, Where did you teach? um, I taught at Doyle Elementary School, Daylard Elementary School. um, No, I was a principal at Daylard. At Doyle Elementary School, Erickson Elementary School. um, Oh, my gosh. Erickson. Then I went to Scripps Ranch. I was at Dingman Elementary School. Okay. And then I went to Marshall Middle School in Scripps Ranch. Mm Mm-hmm. So then I became a vice principal over at Miller Miller Elementary School in Tierra Santa and then became a principal and was a principal for 10 years at Daylard and then Zamorano Fine Arts Academy.
1: And then um, you were on the administration path at that point.
0: Well, after being a principal, I became then an area superintendent for San Diego Unified Mm -hmm. um, for almost four years and then became a superintendent of Westminster School District uh, uh, up in Orange County. So then I went back up to Orange County.
1: So what years were you an area superintendent in San Diego?
0: In San Diego Unified, I believe it was from two thousand and oh gosh, two thousand
1: and was was Alan Burson the superintendent at that point? Uh
0: no. Okay. No, I was a principal during Alan Burson's time. Okay. Yeah.
3: So about two thousand and ten.
1: Okay. Yeah. Two. And
3: what, what was your experience under Alan Burson and the changes that happened right after that? Uh, during, uh, when I was a principal under Alan Burson,
0: I thought it was great. It was probably the, some of the best learning that we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew a lot as a educational leader, uh, learned a lot, learned a lot about my leadership, my leadership voice, um, learned a lot about it being an instructional leader during that time.
1: What's leadership voice?
0: Um, Ensuring that we can articulate and um, say in a soundbite, like what we believe, who we are as a leader, um, being able to have our leadership presence, um, be able to articulate our vision, our thoughts, and um, how we we uh, believe in what we're going to do.
1: And you were rec- recruited to the superintendent role at Poway.
0: Uh Yes, somewhat. (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I was in Westminster School District, I received uh, um, outreach from uh, local people in Poway and administrators and teachers and then people in the San Diego County in general. uh, It asked me to consider uh, looking at the Poway
1: superintendent position and thought it would be a great fit. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, well, we've done a lot of reporting on Poway, uh, a lot from the accountability and finances side um, but in this show, we've also talked a lot about um, the unique collaboration between um, the unions and the leadership at uh, Poway. Also, just it's, its its prestige as a district. It's so well known as perhaps one of the best in the country, really. And so, you know, it's it's it, it had a lot of bad news. On the other hand, it still I think remains this, you know this this model or this ideal in some ways. So it must have been somewhat of a you're walking into some pretty interesting situations first you're you have to deal with this prestige and excellence issue, which you, you have to maintain or improve. And then there's the, but then there's also this uh, sort of cloud of suspicions and worries and problems from uh, the previous administration. So how has it been as you started? And, uh, well, I mean, what was it like to walk into that?
0: Um, there's certainly, uh, a lot of turmoil. There's been a lot of, um, Things to kind of sift through, um, but certainly because I'm not new to San Diego, I'm very familiar and have followed Poway. And as you had mentioned, Poway is is been a district that has always been like a lighthouse district, you know, in the country for for a lot of educators, but a lot of uh, students, and and has done an excellent job in educating children. Um, and then. You know, like you said, with the, the cloud coming in, it's just been basically trying to see how I can bring the the, the school culture together and to bring some unity and and understanding and, and focus towards a common goal. Um, so it, it's been it's been interesting. It's been a lot of work, um, but it's challenging work, but it's good work. And I know it's the right work. So it's the right work to do for the community and for our schools. Um the best part of it is that the all the employees ha- share a common focus, and and we all want the same thing, which is to ensure that Poway stays great. So, mm-hmm.
3: yeah, I've spoken to folks in Poway al- all along this path, and the impression I had is that the um, on the ground in schools, people really stayed focused on the good practices that they were already doing, while the stuff was playing out at the high level administration level. So, what what's what things are you doing to build trust at the from the school folks to the new district administration.
0: Well, one of the first things that one of the first things that I've been doing is I've been visiting every school and meeting with the staff and um, really meeting with them one-on-one and trying to go to every kind of venue I can to, one, let the community and the school and the staff and the employees really get to know who I am. Um, one of the things that was really unique, I think, that I was um, surprised about was that I'm only the fourth superintendent Poway's ever had. I'm also the first woman and the first minority superintendent. And so I, I – don't take that privilege lightly, and I think it's a huge honor. And so I think it's important that being only the fourth superintendent and being one of the first outside uh, outsiders that were brought into the district, that, that our employees get to know who I am and understand what my vision is for the district and understand what are my belief systems and what who am I as a leader and who is this person that's gonna take uh, Poway and, and try and make it a better place for, for everyone.
1: What's the story that you tell about what happened? Do you do you have to do a lot of of, of mopping up of of the impression of the administration and, and explain what happened?
0: No, I try not to spend any time on that because I think that um, the media has done a great job on that, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think that that's not really my story to tell. For me, I believe that that my role and me coming into Poway is not about, you know, placing judgment or making judgment. It's about really how do I bring Poway back together and provide some stability, some focused leadership so that we as a district can start um, mending and... Um, and excelling again and really be focused on a vision that allows us to start some innovative programs that allows our, our teachers and our employees to have a smoother pathway, create systems and structures in the district that allow um, us to function more effectively as a a high level business organization.
1: Mm -hmm. There was a fair amount of, there's still a fair amount of though, like transparency. We've noticed obviously this incredible change of of how hard it is to get information or to talk to people it's it's much easier as you're more open there's certain there's a certain amount of cleaning that still needs to be done and we asked for a public records request recently and you guys came back with well not only did here's your records but we also discovered that there might have been some questionable payments uh, or compensation offered to to some uh, top managers and so we also found that too so here check that out so there's a certain level of of transparency? What's, what is going on where you feel that's important?
0: Um, my whole basis of the foundation of fabric of who I am as a leader is I believe that I'm highly ethical. I believe that I, I'm a, a transparent leader. I think a lot of us throw that word around without really having a solid understanding of what does that mean to be truly transparent. For me, it's about, um, you know, we're, People forget we're public education, yeah. you know, we're not, nothing's private, nothing's a secret. And, you know, and I, when I go to visit schools, I tell people that if you're afraid to call me because you're afraid to throw your, your principal or the director of the assistant soup under the bus, then we truly are not on the same page and having the same goal because really it's about all of us collectively working together towards a common goal. And if we're all working towards a common goal of trying to fix the system together, then there's 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 not really nothing to hide, right? We shouldn't have anything to hide. We're a public educational system that, that we're accountable to the people. And, and, and we are entrusted to do due diligence with the public's money and the public's funds. And so my um, belief and feeling is, is that, that if things are happening and if it is on the up and up, then, then people can prove it and people can show. And, and, and so I don't believe, I believe that if, if you don't, bring it forward. It's going to come forward one way or another. And, and nothing worse than documents coming up in a different way and making it appear that the new leadership in Poway is, is not being transparent or, um, in collusion with whatever happened before or or not trying to um, start a new chapter for the district. And we really want to make sure that we build that trust, um, not only just within our organization, but within our school community
1: too. I want to push on that a little bit too, mm-hmm. and because uh, it strikes me as people are missing the opportunity when they don't in- endorse that the way you have. In the sense of, I feel like when people in situations like this are willing to, Embrace vulnerability, things that might not be right or things that may need to be dealt with, then they can they can enroll people in the challenges a lot easier. You can like when you admit that there might be something that needs to be dealt with here or there, or we we're struggling in this area. It's not that you're showing weakness. In fact, you're showing a kind of strength and willingness to, you know, grapple with vulnerabilities and 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 have the confidence that your community is strong enough to do that. And you can actually maybe get more done than just, you know, trying to pretend like it's all okay, right?
0: I, I think that, you know, if I can be perfectly honest, um, is that when you are... Were- a high performing organization that everyone sees as a great high performing district it's a tough standard it's a tough place to stay right yeah. and so i think people have this fear that that we want we don't want to look anything less than we don't want to look like we have we don't want to show you our pimples or our warts right mm-hmm. but the reality is is that we have to shift our our thinking to be mm-hmm. around um, everything's changing. And are we changing to be better? And do we have the growth mindset that, that, you know, we're all learning, and we all have things to learn, and we all have ways to improve, you know, and, and so, you know, with that said, you know, everybody says, oh, Poway's so great, because, you know, we, we have high achieving test scores. Well, test scores really is only one aspect of success. And, um, you know, so, so really, do we want to continue to just say that's just one measure and is that really the most important thing that we as Poway want to be identified for but our vision is about college and career readiness right so truly do we have programs in our system that's indicative that support the fact that we really believe that we want our kids to be college and career ready if we do then we would embrace some of the technology that's going on we would embrace um, providing multilingual opportunities for all kids we would embrace some of the innovative programs of. Of and creative ways of how do we, out of the box ways of bringing career into our schools. And so really, what's the evidence that supports that Poway's been doing that? And so I think um, that sometimes there's that fear for people to saying that, oh, my gosh, you know, we're, 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 we're not saying that we're so great anymore. And and in fact, early on, that was one of the criticisms I think some of the board members had shared with me is that some of the employees are worried that you're not going around saying that Poway is great. Hmm. And I said, you know, Poway is great, but it's like how do we build on what is great to even make it even better and I think it's that changing of that mindset to understanding that we didn't just arrive like you didn't hit a standard and we're done you know it's like uh, people surpass us all the time and so it's kind of like what what are we looking for to achieve to do better things for our kids because certainly you know we have a large percentage of our kids that are high performing in all of our schools by the old metrics we're over 900 but you you know, we still have kids that are falling through the cracks. We still have gaps in our, our our teaching and our learning, and we still have a lot of work that we need to do to make it successful for all kids. Um, so,
3: That's a really interesting um, analogy or tie-in that you made between growth mindset, which is the idea that uh, Carol Dweck originated that um, our brains are not fixed assets, that they can grow. They do grow and they will grow. And the more we work them, the stronger they can get, sort of like a muscle. Um, and an organization has that same ability and should embrace that it always has room to improve and and places um, to grow. I'm really interested in... Um, You mentioned making room for innovation in the district, and I uh, read that at Westminster School District, you started um, a bunch of new magnet school programs. Poway has Design 39, which is a really well-regarded sort of combo school of choice neighborhood school, is it not? Um, Is there any um, notion that maybe Poway might be looking to create new school models or models within its existing neighborhood schools moving forward?
0: I think what we need to do is really look at, and that that's the approach, kind of what I took in Westminster, it wasn't in the intent was to design a whole bunch of magnets type schools, but rather, how do we increase and improve the type of programs that we offer within that, that neighborhood school? So how do we improve it by looking at what does that community need? What are they asking for? And what is something that, that would support the needs of those children or the parents that want what's best for their kids? So, um, one of the things that I dream about that I would love is to be able to provide multi opportunities for all kids K-12. And I know that in other countries, you know, it's a requirement that kids learn multiple languages. But here in, our, in in this country, we don't do that for our children. I want to be able to find the resources and the ability to, that we can offer that for all kids, K-12, for our children. So that by the time they hit high school, it's not like the first time that they learn how to speak Spanish or French or chi- Chinese or, or whatever language. So, um, So I think it's about... Going to the schools and finding out what do the parents at that school feel that the, the um, school needs in order to stay on the innovative edge to keeping sh- making sure that their kids are successful as they articulate to middle school and high school and college and beyond.
1: Let me ask you about the, um, the, the unions and the relationship with the district. So since we last talked about that on this show, I think both the union leader and the superintendent have left. And there's new relationship there, that relationship has always been held up as a really special one in that there's that both sides embrace core elements of the other side that we need to innovate, continue to grow and collaborate. But there also needs to be some level of protection and stuff like that. So is that still there? Are, Are you continuing that? Is there changes on the horizon with that relationship?
0: No, it's definitely still there, um, but it definitely is a new, uh, new relationship. You know, the the new um, president for the the um, Poway Federation of Teachers, is. she's new. And um, my whole leadership team almost is all new. And so it's about just developing that new relationship and and building that trust. But I believe it's about a belief system of each organization and and what do we want and ensuring that we have a common goal, common vision, and then um, making sure that we can Collaborate, work together towards that common goal, and make sacrifices on both ends to to do what's best for the overall organization. So, um, we certainly are working towards that, and that's one of the things that I think is has always been like. Um, a golden star of Poway is that it does set an example because, you know, at most districts, it is very difficult for many times with management and leadership. It's a struggle um, with the different unions and bargaining groups. So, but in Poway, you know, they are known for having, being very collaborative and the, the employees to work very closely with management to do what's best for kids. And I think that has truly attributed to a huge part of why Poway has also been successful.
1: And you think that's organic now in the, in the body. It's not something that was just a result of those leaders that were there at that time.
0: I believe it's organic because it's organic amongst all of the employees in the district. And um, I believe that when they come on board and they agree to be part of Poway, that they understand that that is the culture of Poway. Mm -hmm. So
3: So when we spoke to the union leader I guess 18 months ago or so, they were rolling out a pilot of a new teacher evaluation system. It was really a um, nation-leading system that was developed collaboratively between the union and the school district. Has that approach... You've all, is it still there, and how's yes, it going? Yes, it's
0: actually going really, really well. We've had multiple in-services and workshops and training on it um, in collaboration and working with the County Office of Ed. They've been conducting um, walking tours to different schools and um, doing observations together to look and be reflective practitioners. Um, and I believe that we took a survey and and, and it received um, very positive feedback from from the teachers. Hmm.
3: That's amazing at a moment when trust between labor, the teachers, and management probably had been eroded that you were able to preserve, you know, that a teacher evaluation system really depends on trust between um, the principal and the teachers. Can you, do you have any sense as a new leader how how that carried through, even through the erosion of trust for a while? I think like, like it,
0: It begins with the message from the top, I think. And and, and that's been part of my message as I've been visiting schools is that, look, I'm approachable. I'm accessible to you. I'm not here to evaluate you or to judge you. I'm here so that we can work collaboratively to improve our work together. And so, you know, if we can evaluate and I can serve as a coach in in my role, whatever role that is, is that, that I want to help you to improve your practices. It's not about I'm your evaluator and I'm trying to do a gotcha kind of a situation. It's about, you know what, we all have to first believe that we're here for the right reasons, okay? And then from that point on, we have to all own and, and own our own performance and, and hold ourselves accountable. And after that, then, then it becomes the evaluator's responsibility to then hold the others accountable for, for what the expectations are.
1: Yeah, describe, Laura, real quick, uh, the Design 39 school.
3: Well, I'd rather have Dr. Phelps describe it, if that's all right. I haven't visited. I wish I had, but... Design 39
0: is... I guess when you come, it's an amazing school. First of all, so when you you walk into the school, it's very open, and so there's a lot of glass walls, open spaces for learning, very diverse learning spaces, maker spaces where children have an opportunity to build, be creative, um, uh, you know, uh, um, attack learning in different ways, um, and be able to work collaboratively in different groups with children different ways. Um, and, and it's exciting to be on that campus. I encourage you to go visit. Um, everybody that goes there, it, they're just amazed. They're amazed at, you walk into the teacher um, planning room or the teacher lounge or wherever, and all across the walls you'll see paper uh, paper across the walls that show teachers putting input as to you know design curriculum and how they're planning for lessons together and, and how the um, kids are going to learn or achieve a certain standard and and it's it's very fascinating to watch but it truly takes a lot of commitment from the teachers and the staff to allow and provide that kind of learning experience for kids but it's, it, it's truly exciting to watch. We have visitors from all across the country who come and, and visit the school.
1: Let me ask you so about that so it's a traditional district managed school right and it's is it a magnet or is it just a it's just an inline okay. So, it's it's just a school. <laughs>
0: it's one of our 30, 39
1: schools. Exactly. Yes? And so, what I'm wondering is, what, one of the things when we, what are the themes we keep talking about in local education is this tension between charters and and district managed schools and and school choice and and it's like I feel like those broad labels get just it's just it causes a, a conversation that's way more toxic than it has to be. But when it comes down to it. We talk about these innovations that a lot of schools at some charter schools or even some district managed schools are able to see. And then and then the question is, is like, okay, how can some of those innovations spread out? How can people adapt and adopt some of the uh, some of the project based learning, some of the personalized learning, some of these alternative spaces that you've talked about? So describe how that works in Poway it's it's a district managed school but it's it, but it's on this like you said forefront of of thinking differently about the classroom what is exactly the classroom what are grades what is what is the curriculum and, and how does that how, how did that happen at Poway and how is it going to continue with all the rules that everybody says are too hard to get past
0: um you know the the staff at Design 39, they use the same curriculum that all of our other schools do. But like what good teachers do, they also add to it and they embellish it. They develop some of their own um, and they embellish the lessons and, and create enrichment opportunities for the kids. Um, but but I think having programs like that is just really about does the district and leadership really support that kind of growth? We have um, pockets of that happening already in some of all of our other schools, um, but it's about really setting up a model that it, where best practices ha- are happening. And we're fortunate because we have a model of that and designed to 39 as a whole school because the school was designed even structurally mm-hmm. to look like the optimum learning kind of school. So it's really about... How do our other administrators, or leadership teams, or teachers recreate those opportunities within a traditional setting of a school that was built in the 1970s? Right, and and it's and it is happening already in a lot of our schools. Um, we have our administration, and and um, for example, I went to visit. Um, I believe it was Chaparral, and um, the principal had created this almost like the the Qualcomm think a bit lab like mimic that and um was really excited to share that uh, with me to show me that that it was a new makerspace that the kids were able to access and and the teachers were able to share so so different um principals and teachers are are starting to make some of those transition and change on their own and we have pockets of it in different various different schools
3: so is that right? do you do you would you if I went out to a school and in- how would they say that their um, knowledge of Design 39 and watching that school emerge had changed their own practices? And I'm also curious to know, you know, those 70s style structures, how large of an impediment that is to implementing some of the innovations that Design 39 has done. Um, I... I think that Design 39 has
0: helped, but I think it's about all of us opening up our practices and basically opening up our doors so that we share what we do so that teachers can do Um, take a little bit of of, that's great, that's great, and this is what I want to do, and have models that they can visit to go, oh, I get it now. I visually can see it. I visually can see how, you know, the students interact, how they taught that lesson differently, how kids are engaged, and how the learning environment supports what kids are able to do. So, you know, more and more, my hope is to be able to increase that um, throughout our schools and be able to find some resources that allow us to make some of those transformations in our, in our schools um, go more quickly. Um, and so we're kind of currently working on that, so.
1: a question, so um, one of the things that San Diego Unified is dealing with is this real big problem in special education of just filling, filling the spots of managing um, some of the, uh, you know, the budget cuts that they've had to do, but just even just filling vacancies. And one of the th- uh, person that was doing that said that in Poway there's a, there's a bunch of vacancies as well of special ed. Classified um, so teacher positions. Um, w- what's it, what's going on in special education right now? Is it some? Is it a real crisis in those educators? Does, is there need to be some kind of bigger reform to attract more, or is it just a just? It's always going to be a hard thing to do.
0: I think that as the times have changed, I think that what we've all seen in education is that that um, there's been this huge growth in the special education population. Mm-hmm. And um, we're finding that more kids um, are requiring or ha- are having more needs. Um, I'm not sure if that's indicative of our environment. I'm not sure if it's indicative of the, the changes in how we eat. You know, I mean, there's a lot of factors that that I believe that impact the health of, of kids. and and um, how kids learn um, in some cases there may be an over identification of you know people looking for additional supports for kids who who maybe truly aren't really special education students but but parents are look seeking for additional supports to ensure that they are successful in the educational su- su- uh, environment but certainly there is a um, a um, a l- there isn't as many trained teachers, practitioners who um, are in that field. So certainly uh, we all across the country are suffering from not having enough special education teachers, special education aides or support staff to help us to meet all the needs of all of our kids. So it is a growing problem, not just in Poway and San Diego Unified, but across the country Mm. everywhere.
3: So we've talked a lot on this podcast and you read it all the time that there's either a present or an impending teacher shortage. And and we've um, documented a real decline in the number of candidates coming out of teacher education schools here in San Diego County and across California. Is Poway feeling any crunch like that? And if so, where are your areas of shortage and how are you tackling it? We don't have a teacher shortage in Poway, whether it be in general education or
0: special education, where our shortage is with our classified uh, employees for support staff, um, but in special education. But um, the teacher shortage, fortunately it hasn't affected Poway. I think Poway's reputation uh, does attract some of the, the best and the brightest and also, um, you know, allows us to keep and be state, we try to stay competitive. Um, so fortunately, that hasn't affected us. But um, I do know that it is a, a problem across most districts across our systems.
3: Mm. So. Well, do you have any, is there any kind of um, retirement bubble facing Poway? A lot of teachers on the verge of retirement or is that not an issue for you? Um, I believe that we have
0: a bubble. <laughs> you know, I think that a lot of districts do, but um, um, to be perfectly honest, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure if that's any more normal or not normal than than other districts, but we do have a large um, population of our educators who are on the uh, more veteran side of the scale in Poway because when they come, they stay, and they stay for a long time. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, I do have to ask you about one other thing. So Poway Unified School District has to switch to this district elections instead of an at-large seat where all five school board members are elected from the same sort of ranking of the same choices. They are each going to have to represent a specific district, a specific group of neighborhoods. And that's a change that's going through, sweeping across North County and East County and other places. And now it's at Poway, what does it take to pull that off uh, how hard is that
0: um it can be very devastating for some districts it can be very difficult um because it's, it's changing a way that you know our voters voted in five individuals to represent represent them and um in poway's case we have four of them that reside in the same similar uh geographic area within our district our district's about 100 square miles um Big. And so, um, what it does is that, you know, we had to create a map that created five different areas that the board members that are elected will represent and represent the schools and the constituents in that area. So, you have to have four public meetings where you get input from the public and then, um, you have opportunity for the public and the board members to, um, essentially design their own maps that they would like to recommend. Um, and then at our last board meeting, the board members reviewed all the maps, reviewed all of the comments from, from the public, and then, uh, selected and determined which map that, that um they wanted to recommend to the county for the county's approval for our district to move towards a um, a district trustee area map,
1: but bottom line is some of them aren't going to make it correct, and that's probably hard
0: right so the map that the board had selected actually has two of our trustees in one area, so definitely one of them will not be back and um, it is difficult it's difficult for the district, because um, the in some cases, the voters won't have an opportunity to maintain or keep the, the people that they had previously elected um, to that position, and it will have to select um, members of the community from other parts of Poway Unified. Mm-hmm.
3: It's um, interesting that um, pattern you described where four of your current board members are from a similar part of Poway. I guess that's the motivation for going to district elections, because the school's that didn't have any nearby board members, they might have felt that the board members who were there didn't know their communities, didn't know their schools as well as they might know the ones in their home neighborhood.
0: Um, Yes, that's the the big picture idea as as far as why you want to make sure that that all of the the community stakeholders are represented, all the minority groups are represented in the district, all of the geographical areas are represented, all the schools are fairly represented. Um, But from what I understand from Poway's history is that, that, for example, we don't have any – Board members that represent the Rancho Bernardo area, and that um, the rumors are that that other RB people have tried to run but haven't been able to um, have a seat or, or, or earn, uh, win a seat, and so um, this will allow. I believe this map has RB as one area that that you know that they'll be able to uh, elect a, a community member or somebody that represents Rancho Bernardo. So.
1: Well, Dr. Marion Phelps, thank you for coming in and good luck. Sounds like you you've got a big job.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for Thanks having so me. Thanks so much.